the last week of our, uh, our series we're calling Triumph, Learning to Live in Victory. Now, it would have been a perfect ending to this series last week because we talked about the Battle of Jericho, right? How to fight the Battle of Jericho. They fought the battle, they crossed over and had this big victory. You think that we would end a series called Triumph, Learning to Live in Victory after the Battle of Jericho. Well, but what happened next after Jericho is exactly what happens to Christians. We often, after a big victory, fall flat on our face. And so I could not in good faith in the series with victory because we have to keep it real. We want to live in victory. We want to dabble in victory. I was 11 years old living in Northern California. I was... Uh, a pitcher in Little League. I was okay, but I was just kind of one of the guys. I was in rotation, and every once in a while I get called to, to pitch. Well, my dad really worked with me. He worked really hard on honing my skills. And by mid-season, I was the number one pitcher. And uh, it was pretty cool. I started really enjoying it. And, and one day, I remember I got my picture in the paper, and I, I had this really big high leg kick, which in Little League is awesome because they can't steal you can't steal bases, right, until the ball goes across the plate. So in, in the big leagues, if you have a high leg kick, what happens? They're busy stealing. You don't really want a high leg kick. But I thought it was really cool, and evidently the person taking the picture in the paper thought it was really cool because they got me a picture with my leg clean over my head, which I can't do now or I dismember myself. But it was a beautiful shot. I mean, it was a big shot. And what do you think that did to my head? Yeah. The very next game, my dad would always coach me up. He was, you know, a really good dad, really good coach, and and we're on the way to the game, and uh, he's giving me all these pointers. It was, it was our rival we were playing. It was a big game, and I was starting pitching. And uh, he's in the midst of his uh, you know, dissertation on what I needed to do. And I looked at him and said, Dad, I'm going to do this one on my own. <laughs> Y'all know what happened, right? I did that one on my own, yeah, for about uh, half of an inning. They lit me up with me and my big old leg kick with my picture in the paper. They lit me up, and I was pulled before the first inning was even over. That's what the Israelites did. That's what happens because that's human nature. We forgot who got us there, and that's exactly what happens to Christians. Christians are kind of like pendulums. Pendulums, right? We, we vacillate. We go from victory to defeat, from success to failure, from conquest to catastrophe, back and forth and back and forth, tick, tock, tick. And we're talking about learning to live in victory, learning to be steady in Christ. Here's your big idea. Pendulums are for clocks, not Christians. We were not meant to vacillate back and forth, to and fro, victory, defeat, great day, bad day. I mean, the world's doing that right now. We can see that in the world. But we're not supposed to be doing that with the world. We're supposed to be steady. Isaiah 33, 6. He, meaning God, is your constant source of stability. Friends, God's plan for our life is not for us to do this. It's not for us to do this. Yes, we're going to have highs. Yes, we're going to have lows. We're going to have bad days. We're going to have good days. All that's true. But it doesn't mean we have to be dictated. We don't have to be controlled and conformed to the world and by the world, we can be steady in Christ. We're going to look at Joshua chapter 7 as we wrap this series up. 
We're going to see the vacillating nature of the Israelites. I want to, we're going to learn from them on what to do and what not to do. Joshua 7, they defeated Jericho. They had a huge victory. Now there was this little town called Ai, A-I. This little town was going to be an easy victory. I mean, the big victory was Jericho with those fortified walls we talked about last week. This was just a simple little town. Not a whole lot of folks there. It should be uh, an easy victory. And what happens? We see the pendulum go from victory to defeat. Joshua 7, verse 1. The first word should give you every indication of what's about to happen. But. Anytime something good happens in a previous chapter, and you go into the next chapter and it starts with but, you know there's trouble. But always sets in contrast. But the Israelites were unfaithful in regard to the devoted things. Now, remember, the, the, the devoted things was gold, silver, bronze, and iron. And remember, Joshua in chapter 6, when they were going into the promised land and getting ready to fight Jericho, they, he said, hey, listen, make sure you stay away from the devoted things. Those belong to God. They're, they are to go to the treasury of God. So they had been forewarned. But Achan, the son of Carmi, son of Zimri, and the son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, took some of them. Uh-oh. So the Lord's anger burned against Israel. Verse 2. Now Joshua, he, he was unaware of this. At this point, he didn't know that that happened. Verse 2. Joshua sent men from Jericho to Ai, which is near beth to the east of Bethel, and told them, go up and spy out the region. So the men went up and spied out Ai. When they returned to Joshua, they said, not all the army will have to go up against Ai. Send two or 3,000 men to take it and, and don't weary the whole army for only a few people live there. Bad advice. Verse four, so about 3,000 went up, but they were routed by the men of Ai who killed about 36 of them. They chased the Israelites from the city gate as far as the stone quarries and struck them down on the slopes. At this, the hearts of the people melted in fear and became like water. Lord, I just thank you as we get into your word today that you would reveal your truth. And not only would you reveal truth, but God, you would stir us to do something about it. You would stir us to change and to step up and do what we're called to do and to, to live the life we're called to live. Help us do that, God, in Jesus' name. Amen. How do we stop the pendulum? You want to stop the pendulum like I want to stop the pendulum? You want to stop that vacillating back and forth? Here, number one, learn to listen up. Why did the pendulum swing? Well, in part, because Joshua listened to the wrong counsel. Only send two or 3,000. Don't weary the whole army. You're good. Bad mistake. Well, first of all, we know from Joshua chapter 8 that there was 12,000 men, or I'm sorry, 12,000 people in that city. So clearly, sending 3,000 was not enough. The best counsel comes from E.F. Hutton? No, I'm going to keep saying names until you all get with me tonight. Come on. Come on. God, the best counsel you're ever going to get the only certain counsel that will never let you down comes from God. And God gave him counsel on how to win. Chapter 8, verse 2, he said, set an ambush behind the city. That would have been helpful, right, if they listened to God. But they tried to do it on their own. They listened to man. Victory is auditory. You ever have a mom or dad say, hey, hey, son, listen up. Listen up. And that's what God's saying to us. I believe he's saying that to us tonight. He's saying, listen up. And he's saying this. If you're not winning, perhaps... We're not listening. 
Come on. If you're not winning, if you feel like you're vacillating, perhaps you're not listening to the voice of God. We have so much noise. The other, the other day I was working on this message and I had a shortened week, you know, going from Sunday uh, to, to this, this day here. So um, it, was, it was kind of a challenge, right? And so I had my wife who was doing Pilates in, in her room. Pilates were one of those videotapes. I don't know what it was. And making all these God-awful noises. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's, we're, we're learning as you get older, it's like working out is harder. And, and the, some of the sounds that come from that room, I like to, every once in a while, I just check on her, make sure she's okay. So she was doing Pilates, so kicked me out, right? And so I went to my daughter's room, Riley's room, and, and, but that's right next to the garage. And Levi was in the garage working on these cases that we got on Craigslist to save the church about $4,000. $4, and so he's out there scraping, right, these cases and refinish them and doing all this work, but he's got music on. And so I got music. And then Riley's in there practicing the piano. So I got Beethoven. I got, you know, country music in the garage. I got all sorts of noises coming from the master bedroom. And, and, and I'm like trying to, you know what my solution was? I'll show you my solution. I know, earplugs. No, I would have been smart. Alexa, Alexa, play white noise, please. White noise. <sighs> My solution to, to stop the noise was to create more noise. Do you see how we are? We don't listen very well because we've got so much noise, so many distractions, so many things competing for space in our life. I love what, John Piper wrote, he said, if you want to be a great leader of people, you have to get away from people to be with God. That's true of leaders and it's true of all Christians. There are times where you just have to withdraw. Had Joshua in that moment just said, you know what? Hey, thanks for the advice, spies, but let me just, just let me, I need a day. I need a day to pray about that. I need to talk to God. I'm quite certain that God would have spoken truth and whispered the right instructions. Problem is, we don't listen. The Bible says, be still, right? Psalm 46.10, be still and know that I am God. We struggle with that. We're not very good at that. Be still and listen. And God will also send people your way. Sometimes we need to listen to people, but we need to listen to the right people. Let me encourage you to listen to steady people. I have a rule that I don't listen and take advice and counsel from people who can't manage their own life. And I don't mean that in a bad way. I'm just saying that's a standard. You know, God can use people who, who have, have messy lives, absolutely. But, but if, if you can't manage your own life, I'm gonna be hesitant to take advice from you, right? So listen to the right people. Listen to steady people. The problem is most people don't want counsel. You know what they want? They want a co-signer. I was at a church in, in California and a guy came for marriage counseling, right? And uh, he just was bagging on his wife. I mean, just saying mean things, and she's this, and she's that, and it's all her fault, and blah, 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 blah. Well, what it was is he was wanting me to co-sign and tell him, it's okay, it's okay, it's okay leave your wife. It's all right, man. If she's like that, of course, I didn't give him any quarter. But, you know, sometimes we just want uh, someone to co-sign. You know, I know what I'm going to do. I've already made my mind. I just need someone to help me feel better about what I'm about to do. We need to listen. We need to listen to godly counsel. Proverbs 15 I'm sorry, 12, verse 15. The way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man listens to counsel. 
beware of the answer you want to hear. You can always find someone that'll give you that answer, right? You'll find some family member whose life is probably a wreck, but will say what you want him or her to say in, in your time of need. Maybe it's fake news. Maybe it's a new age blogger. Maybe it's Facebook. Maybe it's a disgruntled church person who bounces from church to church to church to church and has got a really poor track record, but they'll tell you what you want to hear. Don't listen to people who are unsteady. Listen to people who have a track record of being faithful, who have a track record of being steady, whose pendulum of life doesn't just keep swinging back and forth, but are, are certain. You see, sometimes God sends people our way because we can't figure it out on our own. And that's the grace of God. That's the love of God. That's the goodness of God. He sends people to help us. Amen? In fact, chapter 8, verse 1, what did, he, what did he tell Joshua? He said, take the whole army. Take the whole army, 600,000 fighting men, to go fight against 12,000 people. Why? Because sometimes we need the church. Maybe you're struggling today. And maybe that pendulum is just going crazy in part because you're trying to fix this on your own and you need some help. You need somebody to, to help you. I was thinking about the, uh, remember in Exodus 17 when the Israelites were fighting the Amalekites? Remember Moses' hands? Every time he would raise his hands, they would prevail. Every time he lowered his hands, they would begin to lose the battle. But Moses, you know, I mean, you, you try holding your hands up like that above your heart for so long. I mean, it gets, your hands start to fall asleep. So what happened? He listened to counsel, right? Aaron and her, they said, hey, we're gonna, well, verse, uh, verse 12, Moses' arms soon became tired so he could no longer hold them up. So Aaron and her found a stone for him to sit on. Then they stood on each side of Moses, holding his hands so his hands held steady until sunset. Friends, sometimes you need someone to hold your hands up. I got that person. I got several people. One person's Gary. Gary, you're probably about the most steady person I have in my life. And that's one of the greatest compliments I could give you, my friend. You're steady. And when I need you, you're there to hold up my arms and to say, I got you. And see, that's what God does. He sends people your way. Who do you have in your life? Friends, if you don't have that person in your life who's steady, who can hold your arms up, man, you are missing out on the plan of God. We are not supposed to go at this alone. You are not supposed to go through COVID by yourself. You are supposed to have sisters in Christ, brothers in Christ who, who, who are imperfect but steady and, and can help you steady your arms so that the battle of your life, you can win it. Pendulums are for clocks, not Christians. We need to learn to listen up. And second, we need to learn to stand up. Joshua, he hears the news. He falls to the ground. He puts dust on his face and he tears his clothes which was like the morning ritual that the Israelites would go through. And he starts kind of whining, right? He says, if we just had stayed on the other side of the Jordan and hadn't come across. Remember we talked about the other side of the Jordan, Shittim? Y'all, if you missed that, you can go listen to it. The town they were in was literally called Shittim. You can take that literally. You can take that metaphorically. You can apply it however, how the Lord, however the Lord wants you to. But listen, they, they, you would trade the promised land for Shittim? Right? And so you know what God says in verse 10? He says, the Lord said to Joshua, stand up. What are you doing down on your face? Israel has sinned, and they have violated my covenant, which I commanded them to keep. In other words, stop whining. Friends, I think God gets tired of us blaming him for our mess. You know, God loves us. He, he, he pursued us passionately because he loves us. But sometimes he just gets tired of us blaming our mess on him. 
He's like, Joshua, this whole thing was because people in your camp, they sinned. We've got to stand up and own our mess, own our sin. Standing up is a private discipline, not a public spectacle. And I want to point that out largely because of what's going on in our world today. Because when I tell you to stand up and I give you godly counsel, I want to make sure the world doesn't spin or convolute God's good message. Standing up or confronting things doesn't mean we need to be loud, avert, or destructive, or violent. Amen. And, and again, I'll just, that's not my opinion. We're clapping because that's God's opinion. I can prove it. I mean, look, look at Jesus was a man of peace. I mean, Peter in the garden of Gethsemane, Matthew 26, tried to stand up. What did he, he took a sword out, cut off the ear of the servant, right? The high priest's servant. And what did Jesus say? Peter, put the sword away. You live by the sword, you die by the sword. Don't you think I can call down 12 legions of angels? That's 12 times 6,000, that's 72,000 angels. Don't you think I can handle this? Listen, it's not about violence. You can stand up without being violent. Standing up is more of a personal thing. Standing up, the first thing we, person we should stand up to is ourself, our flesh, our sin. Stand up means confronting sin. Oh, that's a word you don't hear in church anymore. Oh, we're talking about sin tonight. We're talking about sin tonight. Now, it might not get butts in seats, but it'll get souls in heaven. You know, uh, we, we live in a world, and let me say, you cannot correct what you're unwilling to confront, right? You cannot correct what you are unwilling to confront. And, and so let's confront our, our, our own depravity. Let's confront our own mess. You know, uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, he talks about the term cheap grace. Cheap grace is grace without obedience, grace without repentance, grace without sacrifice. This world loves to talk about God's grace, and we should, and celebrate that. But there's also this thing called repentance. It's called running back to Jesus when we mess up. I, I love what Ron Smith said. He said, there was a time people went to church, heard the truth, and wept over their sins. Today, people go to church, hear a motivational speech, and ignore their sins. Friends, I am not Chris Farley. I am not your motivational speaker. I am a man called by the grace of God to teach to speak the truth. And I'm doing, I, I want to do it in love. I want you to hear it come from a heart of love, a heart that's been transformed, a heart that's been set free, and a heart that wants everyone to live in freedom. Okay, that's, that's the heart this is coming from. So I hope you hear that. But listen to God's word today. Verse 13. There are devoted things among you, Israel. God said, you cannot stand against your enemies until you remove them. What did Achan do? Achan took that gold, that silver, and that Babylonian robe, and he hid it underneath his tent, thinking that no one would ever find out. No one would ever miss it. It'll be okay. And God's anger burned against him because he was disobedient. And he said, you cannot stand against your enemies. Apply that to your life. Whatever your enemy is, whatever you're facing, you cannot stand against your enemy until you remove them. Friends, I mean this in love. Hear me. What's underneath your tent? Deathly quiet. 
No one's saying amen. That's okay. But what's underneath your tent? What is it? What's underneath my tent? What are we hiding? What are the devoted things that we have kept from God that are keeping us from victory? I was so proud of Ben Roethlisberger. Some of you might have seen on ESPN the interview. On Saturday, he spoke at a men's conference where he shared that over the last several years, he had become addicted to alcohol. He said, well, let me just read his quote. I've been addicted to alcohol. I've been addicted to pornography, which makes me then not the best husband, not the best father, not the best Christian I can be. There were things underneath his tent and he had to get rid of those things and get right with God. And when he did, his life has really begun to change and he is, is set free. Friends, I think so often we're so good at being professional Christians. We're so good at living with the devoted things and kind of hiding them and keeping them suppressed that we're kind of like functional Christians. We just begin to, 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 to function and, and make things work. I, I was with my wife last night on a, a little date night and I was, uh, I was watching the TV behind her, which you're not supposed to do on date night. But, but God actually spoke, so I got, a little, I, free, I got a free pass on this one because he dropped something in my spirit, like, whoop. And I, and I told her right away so she wasn't mad. But I was watching this TV be, behind her, and, and it was an old football game. And I could tell it was like from the 90s. You know, they got the big old pads, thigh pads like out here, you know. And, and it was like some meaningless game that no one cares about, like Cincinnati and Denver. And, Stop it. Just saying. I'm just saying. All right, all right, y'all. I didn't care about it, all right? So, so I'm watching this game, and, and then I'm like, man, I'm like mad. You're like, this is, this is the best we can do? 90s reruns? And then God said, now you know how I feel. When I watch my family of God live the same rerun, the same sin over and over, the same sin they've been in sin for the 90s. Now you know how I feel, John. And my heart just sank. Now we know how God feels. And here's the thing about sin. The longer you're in sin, the more it becomes attached to your identity. Let me illustrate, because you know I like to illustrate. Here's what I mean. So in college, I, I struggle with the sin of pride. Now I can still struggle with that any, any day, you know, if I don't die to myself. But I really struggle with, 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 uh, with sin, or I'm sorry, with uh, pride, which will cause you to sin in college. Now, what I did is I, I basically, and I'm, this, this is represents pride. Now, why, why did I choose a uh, round filter? Because everything came back to me, right? It all went through this filter of, of pride, but it was all centered around John. How do I look? How's this gonna make me be represented? What are people gonna think of me? You know, what should I wear to get the most compliments? You see what I'm saying? Like it was pride. And, and, and it was attached, the longer I was in pride, the more it was like attached to me and, and my thought process and who I was and my DNA and who God called me to be was kind of being perverted because it was going through the filter of pride. Now some people, they struggle with, uh, let's see, um, slander. Now I chose a square filter for slander because you know, you know how slander works. Like if you don't fit 
inside someone's box and someone's measurement or analysis of you, then, you know, maybe you're, they might slander you. Like if you don't uh, belong to the same political party, you know, I'm going sl- to slander you, right? Or if you, maybe you have a different area of sin. Or maybe you have this thing you did that everyone knows about. And because of that, you know, you're easy, you're easy target. Slander becomes attached to who you are. Or what about people who struggle with the sin of unforgiveness? Now, for the sin of unforgiveness, I just got a little guy, right? Just a little thing. Because the sin of unforgiveness, that's really easy to hide. Right? I mean, no, no one really knows it's there, and you kind of suppress it. But here's the thing about unforgiveness. It's really the only sin that's active and ongoing in your life. In other words, if you slander someone, you slander them, that's sin, but you may go three days and not sin, not slander anyone. But unforgiveness, if you have unforgiveness for someone, it is active and ongoing to, up until the very point that you release it and forgive them. So perhaps this should be the biggest filter of all. And what happens is we carry this around. We begin to act out of our, you know, it's, it's, it's identified, it's attached itself to, to who we are. And we begin to make life decisions, life choices. We begin to spawn to our spouse in such a way because we're controlled, dictated, and governed by sin. You know what God's saying? Put that picture up. Put that up. There it is. There it is. New life. God. You have to let go, my son. God's saying, take off the baggage. Lay it off the foot of the cross, right here. Right here. Yeah, you can clap for Jesus. He went through a whole lot of work. A whole lot of work so we could lay that baggage down. And, and sadly, some of us are carrying that today, and God doesn't want us to carry it. Pendulums are for clocks, not for Christians. We gotta stand up. We gotta stand up. And lastly, we gotta learn to speak up. We have to learn to speak up. Verse 20, Achan speaks up. Achan replied, it is true, I have sinned against the Lord, the God of Israel. This is what I have done. When I saw the plunder, a beautiful robe from Babylonia, 200 shekels of silver, and a bar of gold weighing 50 shekels, I coveted them and took them. Coveted, took Sin always occurs in the battlefield of the mind. He coveted first, then he took. They are hidden in the ground inside my tent with silver underneath. He spoke up, but only after he was caught. It was too late, right? He really wasn't confessing. He just, he just happened to get caught. My question is, who else had a chance to speak up? Who else might have God called to save his life and to save the day and to save those Israelites? Who else in that camp knew about that and could have saved the day, could have been a, a Christian and spoke up? His wife, his kids. You say, well, but how, how do you know that they knew about it? Well, I absolutely know they knew about it. And if you study God's word, you, you, you'll find these answers. I, knew, I know that they knew about it because they were killed just like him. Right? Remember that at the end of this story, at the end of this chapter, sorry, spoiler alert, his family, all his family, wife, kids, daughter, right, sons, his, his, everything he owned, killed and burned. Now, now, how do I know that they knew? Because in Deuteronomy 24, 16, the Israelite law would prohibit, prohibit anybody being killed for another family member's sins. So it's clear that they knew 
about this and they were complicit in this. My point is, why didn't they speak up? Maybe there was a friend of Achan's that knew about it and he kept it quiet. Or maybe there was a military commander that was in charge of him and he saw it, but he wanted to cover his own butt, you know? We gotta, we gotta learn to speak up, y'all. We gotta learn to speak up because when we speak up, sometimes we have the power to grab the pendulum and just stop it for somebody else. Maybe it's stopping it for your own life, speaking up on your own, but maybe it's stopping it for a family member who, who, who you know is in sin and in love, not, out of, not, out, not with a hardened heart, but in love, you can speak up. And I wanna be careful how I present this because speaking up doesn't mean you lash out. I'm not giving anybody license to lash out at someone just because you might be right there's, there's a timing and there's a way and there's a tone to that timing or a tone to, to the way we convey things, right? Never trust your tongue when your heart is bitter. Hush until you heal, right? Because what we do as Christians, we end up doing more damage if we don't do it with the right tone and the right temperament and the right timing. So speak the truth and avoid the spin. Speak the truth and avoid the spin. What do I mean by the spin? Well, go to God's word. What, what did they can do? Uh, we can tell that he wasn't really repentant because he spun. Did you, did you catch that? The word plunder? This is what the Lord has done. When I saw the plunder, that's not the right word. Plunder is something like another translation has spoils. It's not spoils. It's not plunder. It's the devoted things. It belongs to the treasure. He knew that. And he's trying to spin, spin it to help himself feel better in front of Well, when I saw the plunder, no, 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 no. It's not plunder. You see how we do that? And don't get mad at Achan. Because a lot of us, we'll spin too. We've become very adept at, at spinning things so as to put ourselves in, in the best light. Sin is sin. And the moment God said it was off limits, it was off limits. Reminds me of Gavin's first birdie. Remember that story, his first birdie? His first birdie occurred not on the golf course, but on the driving range. When he went back and hit a worm burner, he hit it, it means he hit it really low, and he killed a pigeon. He struck a pigeon that we heard the thud and the pigeons go. And from behind me, some crass old man says, he's a goner. Thank you very much, sir. Love your compassion. My son was mortified. But it, it, it reminds me of, of this situation because when we begin to spin things with God, we begin to wander off dangerously onto forbidden ground only to find that there is a hard golf ball with your name on it. Stay off the ground. Stay off the forbidden ground. Don't touch the devoted things and speak up to save someone from that golf ball. We live in a world that is rewriting God's word. Did you know that? I mean, just turn on your TV. We, we li we're living in a world where people are trying to rewrite the word of God. Redefining marriage, redefining gender, redefining what sin is, redefining the sanctity of life. Just yesterday, you might've heard there's a group that's, that wants to remove mural, uh, uh, statues, stained glass, and, and win uh, stained glass windows of Jesus. They say they must be taken down. We live in a cancel culture where if something you, do, you say doesn't align with the popular culture, they basically just try to, to cancel you or silence you. And God says, speak up. He says, speak up. Because if we don't do it, 
who will? I don't mean we lash out. I don't mean we, we, we spew toxic hate on Facebook. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about standing. This is about politics. This is about standing for right or wrong. Who are you going to stand for? You're going to stand for Jesus? Because there's always a price to do it. There's always a price to stand for him. Isaiah 5.20 says, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Don't wait for politicians to fix this. Don't wait for celebrities to fix this. Be the voice of Jesus. Cry it out in the wilderness. Cry out and speak up. Abigail Van Buren said, a church is a hospital for sinners, not a museum for saints. I refuse to raise up a church of statues, of people who are frozen by fear or, or, or gripped by sin, so much so that they won't speak up. It's our job to address the issues. And we got young people that are coming up, that are trusting us to lead them and to be the voice crying out. Friends, I wanna encourage you to speak truth over your vacillating world. Speak truth over your marriage. Speak truth over your family. Speak life over your church and your workplace and your nation and your world. The Bible says in Proverbs 15, 4, that the tongue is a tree of life. Begin to speak life over the people that you come in contact with. When people complain about COVID, you remember Revelation 12, 11. You tell them what God has done in your life in COVID. When people complain about wearing a mask, you tell them, 1 Corinthians 10, 24. It's an opportunity for, for, for me to put others above myself. I'm not wearing this mask because I think I'm going to get sick. I, I want to do it because I want to love you all. When someone tells you that, man, I'm really frustrated because we have to socially distance. Even in church, we have to, so you remind them of Hebrews 10, 25. And Jesus said, don't stop meeting together. And, and if it takes a little social distancing, we'll be okay. God said, carry your cross. We've got missionaries who are dying overseas. Okay, we're going to carry our cross. We're going to speak life and we're going to speak up. Because here's the thing. The swing of the pendulum begins with a tiny little crack. A tiny little crack is all it needs to gain momentum and to begin swinging out of control in your life. Sardis was a thriving capital city in the ancient Lydian Empire, modern-day Turkey. The Acropolis, or city on a hill, was the upper portion of the city. We've got a picture of it. That's the, that's the Acropolis. It sat safely atop the high cliffs. It was guarded by thick walls, believed to be impenetrable by enemy forces. Well, in 547 BC, the Persian king Cyrus invaded these untouchable, this untouchable fortress. He found a way in. You see, undetected cracks, and there, there's the remnants of, of the wall, but undetected cracks at the base of the wall had grown over time from tiny little fractures to large enough for his army in the night to sneak into the wall. His whole army snuck in, and in the morning, the city awoke to chaos, and like that, Overnight, that impenetrable force was captured because of a tiny little crack. Friends, is there a crack in your wall? The crack in your wall will create momentum 
If the enemy slips in, he's able to create momentum. He's able to get that, that, that pendulum just to swing. And here's the impact of a swinging pendulum. Achan died. His family died. His church or his army died as well. 36 people didn't come home to their families because the pendulum of Achan and his family took them out. You say, Pastor John, man, this is really heavy. I came to church to be uplifted. I came here Wednesday night to, to, to experience victory. Yes, you did. Which is why I refuse to present part of the gospel. Paul said before the Ephesian elders in Acts 20, 27, he said, I have not, I did not shrink away from presenting the whole counsel of the word of God. I'm not gonna just talk about God's grace every time. I'm not just gonna talk about God's redemption every time. I'll talk about those things, but we're also gonna talk about sin. We're also gonna talk about repentance because you cannot live, I cannot live in victory if we don't repent, if we don't die to those sins that are besetting us. If we don't stop the pendulum, we're, we're calling out God, God, stop the pendulum. He says, you stop it. I already paid the price. I did what I needed to do. And all you gotta do is cry out to me. Just repent, I'm here. I can take those things once and for all that have been confining you, that have been enslaving you, that have been preventing you from being the man you're called to be or the woman you're called to be. I can take those. And repentance is not a downer. Listen to, let me close with this verse, Luke 15, 7. Jesus said, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. If this message wasn't for you, that's okay. Because I know there's at least one person here who's about to initiate a party in heaven because you're about to repent. You're about to be set free. It's worth it to Jesus. And it's worth it to me. bow our heads, close our eyes, people that are watching online, just do the same. Just take a moment, be quiet, be still. If you're holding the hand of your loved one, I'd ask you not hold their hand because before you're their spouse, you're God's son, you're God's daughter, you're God first. This is about you and him. With every head bowed and every eye closed. Maybe there's something under your tent. Maybe you just say, you know what, I, I just want to repent. I need to get right with God. Every head bowed, every eye closed, no one looking around. If that's you and you say, you know what, I want to repent. Right now, just throw your hand up in the air. Throw it up right now. Don't talk yourself into it or out of it. Just do it with the Holy Spirit leads you to. If it's not for you, keep your hand down. But if it's for you, boldly put it up and say, you know what, I need to repent. I need to repent. I need to repent. Right now, right now. Amen. 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 Don't be afraid. Amen. Amen, with boldness, put your hand in. God died, so don't be, don't be, there's no shame here. There's no, it's called obedience. There's no shame in obedience. Those of you that are raising your hand, you can go ahead and put them down, but just, just, just pray this prayer. Pray, pray this, just ask God to forgive you in your heart right now. Just say, God, forgive me. I'm running to you. I'm running to you. You know what's underneath my tent. You don't beat me up. You don't punish me. You don't belittle me. You're a good God. You're a gracious God, but I don't want to abuse that grace. I want to live and be the person I'm called to be. I want to get it right. I want to lay it at your cross. 
I don't want to have the same challenge for the rest of my life. I want to be set free in the name of Jesus Christ. And by the blood of Jesus Christ, I step into freedom tonight. I live in freedom. I'm not dabbling there. I'm not visiting freedom. I'm not going on vacation to freedom. I am living in a place and posture of freedom. And I'm doing it tonight. And I'm doing it under the authority and lordship of Jesus Christ. Set me free, Jesus. And help me choose each and every day from here on after to live in freedom because freedom is not an event. It's a daily lifestyle that we choose when we wake up every morning. Help me do that tomorrow and every day thereafter. Let me live in freedom. With every head bowed and every eye closed, if you don't know Jesus, whether you're watching online or whether you're here today, if you want to know Jesus, just pray a prayer like this. Just pray, say, Jesus, I want to know you. I want to live forever with you. So would you forgive me? Today, I repent and I come running to you. My God, my Lord, my King, forgive me. I believe that you died on that cross for me and I am a child of God. And so I step into a place of salvation today. I make the decision to follow you and to make you Lord. Thank you for seeing the greatness in me that comes through you as I am now your child. In Jesus' name, amen. Can we just spend a little bit of time celebrating what God's doing? Come on. Come on. Come on, come on. God is good. If you made a decision, let us know. And if you're watching online, you made a decision, let us know. We want to follow up with you. Uh, maybe put a little thing in the chat there that says I made a decision. Or uh, reach out to us at connect at gatheringchurch.org. I love you guys. I pray for you. I want God's best for you and for this church. We are a family. We'll do this together. We'll stumble. We'll fall. But don't lose the will to walk. Don't lose the will to get back up. Don't lose the will to persevere. And when that pendulum starts to swing, you grab a hold of it through the authority of Jesus Christ. Say, not today, Satan. Not today. I am a more than a conqueror. I am the Lord's workmanship. God loves me, and through his power, this pendulum stops today. Well, hey, friends, thanks for joining us for today's live stream. And a special thanks to all of you who, who prayerfully and financially support the work of the gathering. Man, we couldn't do it without your support. I want to invite you back next Sunday in person. 10 a.m. at the Vista. It's going to be awesome. And for those who can't make it in person, join us for our live stream at 10 a.m. Friends, God is doing great things at the gathering. I'm so thankful for what He is doing. Can't wait to see you 10 a.m. at the gathering.